Sometimes monsters are things that go bump in the night. And sometimes they're people just like us. Each week on the Monsters and Mixers podcast, we will bring you a paranormal or true crime story guaranteed to make your toes curl. So grab a beverage, pull the blankets up tight, and join us, Emma and Amy, on your favorite podcast listening app or at monstersandmixers.com. Hello, Spookies. Christina here. I just want to let everyone know before this episode starts that we had some technical issues back when we recorded this a couple months ago with MJ. And so you're not going to hear her in this episode. And it's going to be a little different. Uh, We spoke with a friend of the podcast, Josh. He is back for this episode. And so you're going to hear me sometimes, but you're mostly going to hear him. He's got a very interesting story for us so be ready today josh is gonna tell us about how he recently found out that he is related to mexico's first documented captured serial killer not the first known serial killer in mexico but the first one whose arrest was documented in newspapers so from 1880 to 1908 A man named Francisco Guerrero Perez was said to have murdered up to 20 sex workers, though the number is not known. But before we get into that, I want to paint a picture for everyone about how violent life was and how easy it might have been for a few more murdered bodies to, well, go unnoticed. Mexico won its independence from Spain on September 27, 1821. Though independence had been gained, socially and politically, not much changed for the population. Power remained at the hands of the white elite. The Plan of Iguala set Mexico as an independent country that would be a limited monarchy, and the Roman Catholic Church was set as the official state church. Upper-class status was given to the Spanish and Mestizo populations, and Mestizo means someone born of Spanish and indigenous descent. Despite the fact that, at the time, indigenous and African descent populations were the majority, they were given lower class status. Political turmoil and wars followed, with the presidency changing many times. And then in 1877, another revolt occurred against Benito Juarez's successors, Sebastián Lerdo de Tejada and Porfirio Díaz to control of Mexico. Díaz was essentially a dictator up till the Mexican Revolution in 1910. So during this time, Mexico City was growing and becoming wealthy, but the wealth was at the hands of the elite, and most people lived in poverty. It was a difficult era, full of war and turmoil. And it was during this time that Francisco Guerrero Perez was operating. Again, that occurred from 1880 until 1908. And in a time with so much violence, it probably would have been easy for a few murders to go unnoticed. But... Back to our guest, Josh. How does one even find out that among their family tree, there is a serial killer? Is it just casually brought up during a family dinner? Does a tío just randomly say, hey, guess what, mijo? We're related to a serial killer? That's funny that you say that because that's exactly what happened. That's exactly, that is exactly what happened. So... I was, I was, uh, this was like back in 2017 or so my, my uncle, my Theo, who, you know, who was mar- related through marriage, 
he told me, hey, did your tia tell you? I'm like, tell me what? You know, you're related to a serial killer. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> Theo, what are you talking about? Yeah, like we like like you know, it's just like you said, we were just sitting there having dinner, uh, all together for some celebration thing. And he told us, you know, you know, you're related to this guy named Francisco Guerrero Perez who murdered a bunch of sex workers back in the well, he didn't use that word sex workers, but you know, he he, he said, you know, he murdered a bunch of a bunch of women back in, in the eighteen eighties, you know. He he told me, Yeah, like she took a DNA test and uh she found out, you know, that your your grandpa who like you know he had it, it turns out like uh he he had said a great uncle but it turns out it was like great 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 grandfather and yeah i know right like uh it, it's weird because i looked it up online and apparently from a story that i found it said anthony uh, that this that this uh antonio prida slash uh uh get guy cisco that he didn't have offspring or anything like that. So I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, so was it his uncle or not? Like, you know, I, I don't know. So I thought maybe, like, there might be an issue with the DNA test, but he told me that, you know, like, we're actually related to this guy from my grandfather's side, uh, the Pettis side. Uh, my mom's maiden name is Pettis. And, you know, I remember my grandpa telling me about, like, he had family that, like, I think he had come to America from Mexico when he was a child and that he had Spaniard descendants that came from spain to mexico and he didn't really you know go into much else about that my grandfather and unfortunately when i learned about this my grandpa was had just passed like two years prior at this point so you know i i I unfortunately never got a chance to to learn from my grandpa anything about this if this kind of history was in your family past would you speak about it or would you keep it a secret? For all I know, you know, he was just ashamed of, of this guy because my grandfather was a very devout Catholic man and he was just all around a very good person. My, my grandpa was, was an amazing man and um, so kind. And uh, my mom, even she said, you know, none of us knew about this. You know, we, he never told anybody. We don't even think he told my grandma. My grandma's still alive. And we don't even believe, you know, he even told her record keeping in mexico hasn't always been a thing or something that was easily done i can tell you that my own abuelita's birth certificate was very hard to find and her mom's birth certificate was even more difficult to find if it was ever found like things were just not very well recorded so how does one go about it and and then i instantly started looking into it and you know researching the guy and started finding things here and there and since then i've been trying to contact you know different media outlets in mexico um, trying to get police reports and old uh newspaper articles because I, I just haven't been able to find anything online at all like none of the old articles are digitized for the internet or anything so yeah but like i haven't been able to find i found one old one where they mentioned him being sentenced i think to like a like when he was eventually captured i believe i caught i i saw one old article about his uh about his sentencing 
But other than that, it's hard to find anything from the old times about him. In the search for answers, I know that I would stop and think to myself, man, this is weird. Would you? Yeah, it's just, it really is. And it, it may, I don't know how to feel about, you know, the fact that I have this relation to him. I, it, it's honestly kind of uh, discomforting, but also kind of like intriguing. I read his psychological profile and some of, some of the things kind of match up. I'm not saying I'm like a strangler or anything, but like some of the things kind of match up. So it's kind of creepy. Having a similar personality to a serial killer that you are related to is weird. But you know what else would be weird looking like them? There's this um, photo of my uncle who looks just like this guy at one point in, in Francisco's life. Like, you know, he had, there's different photos of him and you know, at, at this one point of his life, he looks just like my uncle. It's creepy. But yeah. The Bettas had strong genetics. I look a lot like my mom and, and my grandpa's side. There's nothing that excuses the crimes that a person commits But many times you can look at a person who's murdered people, look at their background, and find similarities between other people that have done the same kind of crimes, like poverty, like abuse, and other things. He was the 11th child, and um, he grew up in in poverty. You know, it's it's like how Chris was talking about how Mexico was at this time. He was born in uh, 1840. No, yeah, he was born in 1840 in uh, Bajio, Mexico, and um, he was the 11th out of a dozen or so children. Poverty, you know, they didn't have money. He had an absentee father. He had a mother who was reportedly abusive to him. And so that might be part of the reason why he, you know, attacked these women. And I mean, for all we know, maybe his mother herself was a sex worker you know, and, and to like, since he had an absentee father, maybe that's how she made money. And, you know, maybe she took out her frustrations on him or, you know, it was a different time. People were different back then. It was more okay to hit your kids, especially in more severe ways than, you know, people do now with a spank here and there. Like it was way more severe back then. There was this, the abuse from the mother for all we know that that could be part of the reason as to why he became how he became. But not everyone with abusive parents that grew up in poverty goes on to murder a bunch of people. So what leads someone to do this? We don't know. We can only speculate. It's just like when you don't have when you don't have um, any upside in life, you know, if you keep thinking that negative and dark thought because that's all you see and that's all you're around. And maybe that in itself kind of manifested into these uh, issues as well. Yeah, I, I think I think what happens sometimes is that you know people just break. There are some people I think who break and some who don't, and there's some who see that even though they have these thoughts, like they're wrong. Like you know, we all think randomly, like random thoughts, like oh, you see this tire spinning, put your finger in it, but you don't do it. You know, I'm sh- there's people there's people out there that have the thought, oh, there's a truck coming, 
push someone in front of it like that you see walking in the street you know and and then it's like no i'm not gonna do that there's some people that have those thoughts but then there's also people that act on those thoughts so i think i think it's a matter of of the person with maybe some sort of moral compass and and just you know not being broken by what they what they've experienced i think that's why i'm not like this guy because you know i I myself grew up with an absentee father like you know he he was around but like he wasn't really ever around at the house like he would work till like you know eight or nine at, at night stay at his mechanic shop or go out and to a bar or something you know what i mean so like i had that and um I wouldn't be abused, but like, I mean, like if I did something I shouldn't have, I would get spanked or this or that. Right. So, I mean, you know, there was that, and there's just a bunch of different things, but I know like that I've encountered and that I've had happen to me that like make me think like, you know, any other, like a lot of other people have these things happen to them. They wouldn't probably be as okay as I am. I don't know. And like, it's, it's like earlier how I mentioned, like, um, it's funny that like I have some kind of some of the same uh, psychological characteristics as this guy, but it's like not as severe, you know, it's like I have remorse. I have empathy. I have a regard for human life and believe that like I shouldn't kill anyone unless like they're trying to kill me or like if they're trying to do something really wrong. But, but this guy, he, his psychological profile, um, Francisco's uh, profile said like you know no remorse no regard for human life just saw these women as things to please himself with or to do as what he pleased and you know that's that's very that's a sickening thing that's you know like to me that's like why would someone want to do that so who was francisco guerrero perez the man who would later become Mexico's first captured serial killer. Okay, yeah, so, like I said, um, he was born in 1840. Uh, All that stuff I had already said, you know, abused by his mother, um, father missing, poverty. By the time, you know, he he turned 22, he moved out of there, and he went to Mexico City in 1862. He started an apprenticeship as a shoemaker, and, you know, that's what he decided to to work as, a, a shoemaker. There's not much about his life there. I guess that's maybe around the time he probably started finding, you know, like a spouse and uh, started having a family. And uh, it wasn't until 1880 that the police found the first victim, uh, uh, the first sex worker that they found that was, you know, killed the way she was killed. I'm, I'm sure they had found other sex workers out there that were, you know, stabbed or shot or killed some way. But like, you know, this this was like a, a severe killing that uh, apparently, she, you know, she had been strangled and butchered up, tortured in a way, you know, not not as precision, not as uh, precise as Jack the Ripper would do, you know, which is actually around the same time. They, these two, Jack the Ripper and, and uh, Francisco Guerrero actually uh, were operating around the same time in history. So like Jack the Ripper was more precise, but, you know possibly because he was a trained doctor and whereas francisco was like a butcher like he would cut these women up and so the first one was reported to be you know strangled and practically mutilated there is not much known about francisco guerrero perez 
but sadly there's even less known about the women he murdered. I don't I could never find record of her name. I wanted to find her name and I wanted to find all of their names, but I just like I said earlier, I cannot and I, I like I said I've been trying to contact different like, you know, newspapers or this or that or find old companies that might still be in operation or, you know, the names of those companies from back then to see if I could find anything. But I, I, it's, it's, it seems to be lost, lost in time, so. Though records of the women that lost their lives because of Francisco Guerrero Perez cannot be found, what was a little more documented was the terrible ways in which Francisco Guerrero Perez murdered these women around the time 1880 to 1892 there was about like 12 years there where um he had uh he had killed upwards of 20 women so he was uh he was known as in the papers he was known as el chalaquero and also known as the Consulado River Strangler. I don't know uh, what the Spanish pronunciation was for that, so I just said the Consulado River Strangler. You know, so. But um, his, uh, his, one thing that people noted about him was how vicious his kills were. Some of these women were brutally stabbed. Uh, some had their throats slit severely deep, uh, where it was practically decapitation. There was other women that they found um, uh, with their, you know, their body parts chopped off, their heads. He he moved on to decapitations, and um, from from different reports that I had read, it uh, it was it is shown that the victims were were um, sex workers. One, two, they would be they would have intercourse, and afterwards you know he would he would do what he would do sometimes though they believed that he had sex with the bodies so you know there's there's that also that he practiced necrophilia as well yeah there's there's uh, some reports out there that you know they believed that he actually had sexual intercourse with the dead with some of the dead bodies yeah it's really disturbing so just so he was called the Consulado River Strangler because the some bodies, uh, quite a few bodies actually, were were found in the river. So I guess there was a small river called Consulado River, and uh, they were they found a woman's body in there who had been strangled and stabbed brutally. And after that, throughout this time frame of eighteen eighty 1880 to eighteen ninety two, they would find more women. Every so often, they would find a body. They would find body parts. They would find a head. You know, they, but they they always found that it was a woman. So they chalked it up to being the Consulado River Strangler. Apparently, there's reports that Francisco didn't really care as to whether or not people knew what he was doing. He was very like flamboyant, you could say. You know, he liked to dress up, and that he was um, he just really didn't care. You know. He, you know, flat out just did not give a fuck. (laughs) 
what could these women even do if their killer was not even trying to hide and he was just doing all this in plain sight? Were the police protecting them? Did they have to protect each other? What options are there, really? So it was known amongst a lot of the the sex workers, like, you know, especially the ones who operated for a long time, uh, that this guy was like crazy. Like, you know, like they, they would they would apparently say, like, stay away from this dude. Like, you don't want to mess with him, you know, but I'm sure there was like a bunch of fairly new girls on the street every so often that were just naive or didn't know, you know, who he was that, you know, he would lure them somewhere private and you know give them money or this or that and then he would just you know do that stuff but um yeah like he he was he was well known amongst the community of sex workers but for some reason it's like the police never seemed to know what was going on they believed that you know the women just said we're not going to report him because we don't want to be attacked by him like you know how are they going to have evidence that it was him you know like i guess they didn't have have any evidence it was there were against this local shoemaker, you know, who dressed nicely and, you know, cared about his image. Yeah, like it, it was just it was just really crazy to think that that nobody really cared to report him. It was rumored, though, that around 1890 to you know, around 1891 or so that his neighbor uh, reported him to the police. And that's how they came to investigate him and eventually capture him. So that's, that's, you know, that's pretty wild to think like, you know, his neighbor eventually, like, I guess, found out or maybe he knew all along and was like, they had like a, like a, I don't know, like a Karen moment. So they had to go and report him. After being flashy, out in the open, not hiding what he was doing, all it took was one neighbor. Around 1892, he was caught investigated and tried and was found guilty of murdering all these women and from there he was sentenced to death and um so he's he was in prison for for a good amount of time he was um known to be like really quiet around the prison you know like he was like you know like i don't know like one thing i can think of is is this because like it's kind of like you know how i said i have some of the same character uh, characteristics as this guy well like with me, it's like if I'm really quiet and I like, you know, it's because I'm watching like everything. But so so he he served some time in prison and I can't I can't find I think it was in nineteen oh six. Yeah, like it was around nineteen oh six while he was serving, you know, part of his prison sentence that, you know, um something had happened and they were releasing a lot of prisoners at the time who were like, you know, either I, I don't, I, I'm not sure exactly why they were releasing these people. Francisco Guerrero Perez was sentenced to death, but president Porfirio Diaz lowered his sentence to 20 years and he was sent to a prison in an Island called the Fortress of San Juan de Ulua. 
But then in 1904, a lot of political prisoners were set to be released due to forgiveness, and somehow his file was misplaced among the files of these political prisoners, and so he was released. This guy here, you know, my not-so-great-great-great-great-whatever-the-hell-he-is, uh, this guy here, he um, he was living his life, just doing his thing, when uh, it was around like 1906 that he ups and murders another woman and they find they find the body she's pretty much the same way as all his other victims and they go to him again and you know they they arrest him but you know the the thing is about the last lady was that it was argued that she possibly wasn't a sex worker I mean, we don't know for sure as to whether or not she was one. It could have just been, you know, maybe he just wanted what he like what he wanted from a woman because he just saw women as just objects to use. Four years after his release in 1908, the body of this older woman was found in the same river as the rest of the women murdered by Francisco Guerrero Perez. He was arrested again, and this time he was sent to the Legumberi prison in Ciudad Mexico, Mexico City, and he was again sentenced to death. But the punishment of death for his crimes would not be acted out. This is kind of a happy story at the end, because, you know, uh, after he gets caught, after killing the last woman, who most likely was not a sex worker, um, he was sentenced back into jail uh, for the rest of his life, and he eventually died a couple years later. He died uh, of um, some disease in prison. I forgot what it was. I don't know if I ever found what kind of disease he died of. He died from, but according to an article on culturacolectiva.com. Francisco Guerrero Perez died of hemiparesis caused by brain congestion at the age of 70. And if you're like me and you're wondering what hemiparesis is, it is a slight weakness such as mild loss of strength in a leg, arm, or in the face. Uh, sometimes there is a whole paralysis of one side of the body. It's usually caused by a stroke. So maybe he died because of the stroke. Either way, it was not an easy death. But he died in 1910 uh, in prison. So, uh, you know, that's a good that's a good ending for him. It's, you know, it's a it's a well deserved ending. I know. I, when I looked him up, I was like, oh, he died in prison. I was like, oh, well, at least you know, there's an upside to it. You know, at least he he at least wasn't free for the rest of his life. Yeah, like like that last time when they screwed up and released him by accident, like. If you want more information on this, you can find a newspaper article on heraldodemexico.com.mx. It is in Spanish. If you want to read in English, there is the one uh, article that we found on culturacolectiva.com and our podcast friend Josh here mentions that he found a lot of information a lot of information on YouTube 
Um, the only thing I can think of is look up any any of your listeners who especially, you know, know Spanish very well or can like, you know, listen and and um, you know, translate really well what what they're saying in Spanish. Just look up Francisco Guerrero Perez. Um, there's YouTube videos, um, but a lot of them are in Spanish, you know, um, or, or they're all pretty much in Spanish uh, from the ones that I found. There might be uh, better information or some more information on there as well, stuff that I haven't been able to find. I, I would listen to them. Like, I've tried, but I cannot, like, translate too well from Spanish to English. Like, my Spanish is terrible. I've tried for years to learn, and, like, years and years and years and like my Spanish is still just so awful <laughs> so um i mean if anyone's interested in in you know seeing different videos about it you know in, in a video format feel free to look it up on youtube um you can find it under francisco guerrero perez or el uh, chalequero or the consulado river strangler slash ripper you know uh, just look him up and, and you'll find stuff on youtube in spanish though all right, as spookies, this brings us to the end of our episode. And if you made it this far, thank you, because I know that was a way different style and format that everyone is used to, including myself, which is why this took me a little longer to edit. And thank you to our friend Josh here for coming on and um, sharing this information. I don't know that I'd be too keen on sharing if my family had a serial killer in its family tree. And I don't know, maybe it does. I, I don't know anything about my family, sadly. Anyway, thanks for listening. Stay as spooky and we'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Thank you so much for our spookies supporting us on Patreon. Winston, Modesto, Cynthia, Perla, Jesenia, Kristen, Dalia, Mariela, Rene, Yamaris, Iris, Ghost Train, and Madtown Charity. Es Spooky Tales is hosted by Christina and MJ, edited and produced by Christina. If you're looking for extra ways to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Tales, And you can also check out our Patreon for bonus episodes and more. Go to spookytales.com slash support. You can also check out spookytales.com slash store for some Spooky Tales merch like Stay a Spooky Beanies, No Mamas sweatshirts and hoodies, and a Spooky Tale logo t-shirts. But of course you have our eternal gratitude for just listening. Stay a Spooky!